narrow and wide gate from the sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. Today's Father's Day. Father's Day is a celebration, as you can see. And, you know, we've been really honored to have all these children. I have a child of my own now. And, you know, I'm tired. And that's okay, you know. Uh, I have a glimpse of what it's like to really just enjoy a child. And as, you know, it was said many times, many ways here, the Spirit is working now. Even in this moment, even, even what was going on through the laying of hands, through the prayer, the Spirit is working in our children. And we acknowledge when we dedicate our child, when we baptize our child, God, this is my child, but this child does not belong to me. This is my child, but this child is your child, God. And the prayer and the hope is that they would know the goodness and the grace of God in their lives. Amen? Amen. I'm glad. Um, one of the things that I love, my, my daughter's name is Lucy. One of the things I love about Lucy is when she looks for me. There she is. Yeah, when she looks for me like that. Um, and then I'll kind of like hide a little bit and she'll turn her head and she'll look for me. And something about that look, something about that turn just makes me feel with pride and joy. That this is my daughter. And I just want to show her off. You know, Sonia kind of complains here and there because I, I'm the one that holds her primarily at church. And that's because I just want people to know that's my daughter. You know, like this is my girl. When we go to weddings, I'm like, this is my girl. Right? I'm, and then like it kind of looks like I'm doing her a favor, but I'm doing me a favor. Because I'm just holding her like this. But scripture is filled with this type of description with children. This longing. The father's longing for his children, Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jeremiah was a time when Israel was no good. No good. They were about to go into exile. But God's hope for these people is after this exile, after that, I will restore you. I will write my laws onto your heart. I will write who I am onto you because I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Isaiah, therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. Ephesians and Zephaniah, God calls us his inheritance. We have an inheritance in heaven, yes, but God calls us his inheritance. And we are his glorious prize. He takes joy in his people and he rejoices over his people with singing. Did you know God rejoices over you with singing? I hope that you know that. I hope that that's something that you carry with you in your faith. Because that's the reality of the Christian walk, that God rejoices over you with singing. That is who God is. That is the Father we worship today. So before we read uh, our scripture, it's only two verses. Let's meditate. Let's just take a second. Let's close our eyes. I know there was a lot today, but let's close our eyes right now. Let's just ask for the Holy Spirit to come. Anoint this place. Not just me, God. Not, not just this word. Anoint your people, God. Breathe on your people a fresh wind of your spirit, God. 
unto your children, God. They did not receive a smaller spirit, God. Your children received the Holy Spirit. That your people would prophesy. That your people would speak your word. That they would be light in dark places. God, we need you now. Lord, whatever is spoken today, may it be of you. Would you make me bold that I would speak your word truthfully, that I would not shy away from your scripture, your heart, God, and that all will be fulfilled. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, two verses from Matthew. Two verses from Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There's a lot of distinction here. Jesus is beginning to talk about a great divide that happens between people. And the concept of gates here is obviously central, right? talking a lot about gates. And gates in antiquity or during ancient times, they were entryways into cities and fortresses, right? They were defensive positions. You wanted a big gate to stop a big army. Makes sense? But they were a lot more than that because of what happened around gates. Inside of the gate, there was something called the center, right? And that's where family, like the daily life of things happened. The civic life of people happened in the center, And that's where you had the people trading things. That's where you had prophets coming out, declaring words. That's where you had beggars on the street asking for money. Because there's a lot of traffic of people coming in and out of the city. The center of the gate was central to this. See, the gate leads to something. The road doesn't just stop. It leads to something. So, therefore, when we read this text, when we read what's happening, we really do need to focus on what we are being led to. And this is the wide gate. Christ tells us the wide gate is broad. I mean, the wide gate is spacious. The broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. And when I think about this, when I think about this concept, right, just think about what a wide gate might do, what a broad road might have, right? I just think a lot of room, a lot of room for much, a lot of room that's spacious and open, that, that can apply to our ways of life. Wide is the gate for the many ways to live one's life to their choosing. Broad is the road that leaves room for all desire of this world. Broad is the road that leaves room for all desire. See, desire in itself is not actually a bad thing. God, he puts desires on our hearts even. But when it's the central thing, when it becomes the center of what you're being led to, now you got a problem. That's when the desire becomes idolatry. Becomes, it becomes larger than God. The desire to be married oftentimes can become bigger than God. The desire to be stable, whatever, whatever you put in there, it can become larger than God because you put all your hopes, all your dreams, all your thoughts into that desire. And what happens? You begin to worship that desire. I grew up feeling not wanted. I was bullied a lot. 
you know, I, I was kind of like an awkward looking kid. So I lied a lot about myself. I was, I don't know, I felt like I was a pathological liar. I lied about anything and everything to embellish who I was because I wanted people to like me. And that thought, that was my thought. That was my desire. I just want people to like me. It's innocent. It's a sixth grade thought. Even a good thought. I think that children ought to be liked for who they are. But that idea changed and transformed because I lived for that idea. By the time I got into college, by the time I was interacting with people there, the idea of I just want people to like me became I just want people to lust after me, to affirm me. And I began to use people to affirm me, to give me value, to give me worth. And, you know, that was rooted in deep shame. That was rooted in deep family ties. And all that, all that inside of me created this void that I began to live. And it all started with, I just want people to like me. The same goes with this thought. I just want to do well in my vocation. I just want to do well at my job. How many stories do we know of people who neglect their families, compromise their morals, neglect themselves, become slaves to their jobs because of that thought, I just want to do well in my vocation. I wonder how many people have a full house and an empty soul. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. That word. The focus of hell, um, you know, in society, you know, through Dante, through media, through even church, has been on this fiery, torturous hell, right? It's hot down there. It's supposed to scare you straight so that you don't want to do bad things. And you don't want to go to hell. But fear doesn't bring real change. It doesn't sanctify. So I never really had like um, a draw to that hell, if that makes sense. Right? That, that theology of hell never really spoke to me. Do you know what the worst part of hell is? What's the worst part of hell? Hell is where God isn't. That is the worst part of hell. Hell is where God is in. And we see that through Jesus' passion. Think about his passion. He's betrayed by the ones he loves. He's abandoned by them. He's tortured. He's questioned. He's accused wrongly. He's humiliated. He's stripped. He's executed. And through that whole thing, his cry is, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you not with me? Hell is where God isn't. So when I read that word destruction, you know, you can translate it a bunch of different ways, but the translation I like the best for that word is ruin. The definition of ruin is the physical destruction or disintegration of something. It reduces something to the state of decay. 
it reduces things to the state of decay. When you make anything except God the center of your life, you will ruin your soul. You'll ruin your soul. I've done it. I felt it. I've lived it. You'll ruin your soul. So what's the narrow gate? What is this narrow gate? Why is it narrow? The the quality of narrow, it describes something called a straight. S-T-R-A-I-T, right? Straight, if you know what that is. It's like a small, slim passage, right? Between two bodies of water. Like it's like jammed in there. It's compressed. It's really tiny. And the quality of being narrow means that there are things we're going to want to take with us on this trip that we simply don't have room for. All right, think about it. You want to, you're going to want to take this relationship. You're going to want to take this amount of wealth, right? This amount of comfort, this amount of fame, whatever it is. You're going to want to take that with you. And God is saying, you simply cannot. You don't get to take it with you, sorry. And we wonder, why is this, why is this path narrow? Why? Why? Why does this have to be narrow? And it's kind of strange because this gate is so small and it is hard to access as we read here. But I got to tell you, it kind of makes sense, right? Because our God is a king who made a way when there was no way. When we worship God, we praise him, we thank him because he made a way when there was no way. All scripture points to this. When you read the Bible, all scripture points to this. God is calling people into a relationship with him from Genesis. From Genesis, through the whole lineage of David, into the exile, into Jesus' life, throughout all of it, even the apostles. God is calling his people constantly into relationship with him. And he's saying, I am making a way for you. I am making a way for you. And it's not like he changed his mind. Covenant after covenant, God's people fail. What does God do? He says, okay, we're going to try again. Okay, we're going to try again. Until he comes to the moment where he says, you know what? I'm just going to send my son who's going to fulfill it for you because you can't. I will send my son to live for you, to die for you. Because you cannot fulfill this. Because I love you. Because I don't want you to ruin your soul. Reclaimed by him. He continues to make right this relationship we have through grace and mercy over and over again. I want to, something about the narrow gate that I think about is, this is a random illustration. Um, I was trying to buy my wife a necklace, right? And, you know, like gold, gold is in. You know, it's, it's the thing, ladies, all right? I, apparently. So, like, they, they wear their the, the gold necklace. I don't really wear anything, right, except my wedding ring. But, you know, gold necklace. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go online, look for a gold necklace. And I wanted to get her, like, the real thing, the authentic thing, right, obviously. Because, you know, I love my wife, right? There I go. There I go, Tim. Thank you. There I go. And I'm like, okay, let's look for this gold necklace right here, right? You know, it's really, it was really thin. It looked really, the model had it on. You could barely see it. You have to zoom in to see it. 
right? $650. I said, what? And then there's a link on the bottom for, it said gold necklace is $325. I was like, what is that? So I clicked it. Same company, right? You could see it. It's thick. Thick gold. I was like, ooh, that looks nice. Why is it so much cheaper? Gold plated necklace. Right? Gold plated necklace. I want to tell you something about the narrow path. The reason why this path is narrow is because it costs a lot. This path is narrow because it costs a lot. It is paved by the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. It is paved by the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. It was bought by his life. That gate was erected through his resurrection. That's what God had to do for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No one is worthy. No one can complain that they deserve their salvation. Yet here we are. That narrow path is beautiful. That gate is beautiful. The end of verse 14. Only a few find it. This gate. Only a few find it. What's that mean? I'm going to go to Luke 18, 22 to 25. This is about the rich young ruler. I know many of you know this story. A rich young man comes up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what do I need to do to attain eternal life? What do I need to do to go to paradise? Jesus says, obey all the laws of our fathers, those commandments, fulfill them. And then he says, Jesus, guess what? I did all those things. What else? What else do I need to do, Jesus? And Jesus says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't chastise him for accumulating wealth. All right? I want to dispel that right now. He doesn't yell at him for being rich. There are righteous, wealthy figures in the Bible that are generous with their wealth, but they aren't called to give it up as directly as Jesus does in these verses. But what Jesus identifies here is that this man has made wealth that one central thing in his life. And Jesus saw that in his heart. This man who fulfilled all the law, this man who fulfilled every rule, who checked off all the boxes, Jesus saw his heart and he said, you know what, I see what the one central thing in your life is. And that is your wealth. God is not asking you to give up all you have right now. But the question we need to seriously ask ourselves is, when he asks, will you? That is why so few find it. Because that's what Jesus is asking this man for right now. He's made this one thing, his central thing. This one thing. And it doesn't have to be your wealth. It could be your relationship status. It could be your health. It could be 
whatever. God will ask you to surrender that. But he won't berate you. You see, Jesus doesn't follow this man and say, don't you know what I'm doing for you? Don't you know why I'm here? Don't you know my sacrifice that I'm going to do? He doesn't say that to him. He doesn't chase him. He lets him go. And he acknowledges how hard it is for someone to surrender this fully. How hard it is to live life that way. God will ask you for everything because he's already given you everything. God will ask you for everything because he's already give you, given you everything. No one is forced into the narrow gate. No one is forced there. He doesn't force you to your knee. He doesn't force you onto that path. He doesn't drag you down that road. He says, come. Come. Life awaits you. I wait for you. I want you here. I've been calling for you all this time. All this time I've been calling for you. No one is forced. Who has a testimony today? Who has a testimony? I want you to raise your hand. If you have a testimony like that, who has a testimony? They, they, they've tasted life. Come on, raise your hand. They've tasted life. Who has a testimony today? Who knows what it's like to have lived in death and to have tasted life? That's right. I have a testimony today. Ajay, can you kill the lights? I have a testimony today. I have a testimony. I shared a little bit. I used to live for myself, yes. I used to idolatry. I used to have idolatrous thoughts. And you know, I thought they were good. I thought they were good. You know, today's Father's Day. You know, for I think for the first maybe 20, 23 years of my life, one of the things that like always felt like a miss to me was that my father and I could never see eye to eye. I felt like I didn't understand him and he didn't understand me. And we hurt each other. We hurt each other all the time. And I grew up bitter. And I became angry. And I didn't understand him and he didn't understand me. And I used to pray to God. I used to pray. I was like, God! What? What, are, what is going on here? You know, I gave my life over to Christ when I was like 22. I said, God. You know, literally, literally like this, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Change, change him, please change him, Lord. May the gospel come and change him, Lord God. That's not what God wanted. I wanted a right relationship with my dad, but I wanted it my way. And God showed me that. God used my sister to show me that. God used friends to show me that. And I began to pray, God, change me. I give this up to you. I surrender my right to be angry. I give it up to you. I surrender all that I am. I give it up to you. Change me, God, to love this man. And I remember one day I told my dad I loved him. 
and that I was sorry for being a bad son. You know, like, I, I, there, I felt like I had this, this thing that I could hold against him, but no, I said, God said, no, let that go. Leave that to me. Let that go. That's not yours. And I told my dad, I'm sorry, I love you. And from that day on, our relationship changed. Our relationship changed. I love that man. I love him so much and God did that. God gave me life there. God gave me, thank you Lord, God gave me life there. God, and the moment I laid that down, I want to tell you something. The moment I laid that down, the moment I said, Jesus, will you take this, Lord? Jesus, will you come and will you just do a work, Lord God? Jesus, will you be the center of this life? Will you be the center of this spirit? You know what happened? My soul, it felt like it was at rest for the very first time. My soul felt like it was at rest for the very first time. I'm going to call the worship team up. Let's pray together. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what your walks look like. I know many of you. I don't know all of you. Let's just pray for the spirit to move. Jesus, come in this place. Jesus, spirit move in this place. Jesus, move in this place, God. Right now, God, move in this place. I'm going to do something right now. If you want a testimony in your life right now, if there is a void in your life right now and you want God to take it, I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. I see you. I just want you to keep that hand up for a second. Thank you for being brave. Your hand being up right now, you're just saying, Lord, claim this now. It's yours. So we're going to pray for these people. Father, for those who raise their hands here and online and maybe even for those who, who just didn't, I pray, God, that you would begin to write a testimony that they would see, God. We know you've been working already. I pray that you would give them courage to lay down whatever it is that they cannot give up, that they would be in full surrender to you, Surrender is not defeat. Surrender is actively letting go and saying, God, I cannot do this. 
you have to. And I pray, Father, that they would feel that their souls are at rest. Breathe upon them, your Holy Spirit, God. Oh, Jesus. Breathe upon them, your spirit. You can put your hands down. I got some next steps, but let's just go through them real quick. First is, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you don't call yourself a follower of God, if you want to know who Jesus is, but you don't right now, check this off. We'd love to talk to you. The second is, I am not baptized, and I'm interested in participating in believer's baptism. What you saw up here was like, it was beautiful. What you saw up here is what church is about. It's about a community of believers coming together, and it's celebrating God's people. If you're a believer and you are not baptized, get baptized because you bless the Lord in that way. The third, I will meditate on what it means for me to let go of things God just doesn't want me to hold on to. This might be one of the hardest prayers you pray in your life. Maybe the longest. The fourth is I will join a summer community group. We're trying to reintegrate our community back together. Please take part. There's something for everyone. There's sports, there's hiking, there's arts and crafts, there's movies. We're renting out movie theaters, you know. Come on. 